Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you for your giving. Can we give it up for the worship team producing original music? Come on, that's awesome. Exciting. Pumped up. Welcome to Bethesda Church, and uh, today we're kicking off a brand new series. I'm excited about this series uh, for a lot of reasons. I don't, uh, one, one reason I'm excited about it is because I don't feel like um, you hear a lot about this anymore. And I, I you know, I think uh, it's something that we need to bring attention to, and I, I want you, I hope today that you brought your mind in because you're going to need it. All right, you need your mind, maybe a notepad, a pen, something to write with, because we're kicking off this series on the end times today, uh, and I'm pumped up about it because there's a lot of layers to the end times, a lot of different levels, uh, you know, to it. There, there's there's just so much uh, when it comes to the end times, and I believe that we're not just living in the end times. I believe we're living in the end of the end times. And I'm going to show you from Scripture um, why that's not my opinion, that's God's timeline. And so we're going to look at some things today, and um, when you look at the world as a whole, you look around at the Middle East, all that's going on there. You look at all the turmoil surrounding Israel. You look at China that's growing in military strength and might. You look at the economic crisis in our world, even in the United States carrying a $21 trillion debt. You look at the rise of radical Islam and terrorism in our world. And all of those things are bringing the world to a tipping point. And and what I mean by that, it's bringing the world to a place that we won't be able to get it back the way we know it. Now, I say that, and I'm not trying to create fear, but I am saying the Bible's very clear. This, all, this whole thing is going to end. The world as we know it is going to end. The world as we understand it is going to end, that there is an end of the age that is coming. And so a lot of people are asking, you know, is this the end? When it comes to the end times, you will find countless blogs, books, webinars, all those things, and a lot of us is like, well, who can you trust, Pastor Chad? I mean, who can you trust when talking about the end times? The good news is, is that I brought a book that you can definitely trust today. How many know that we can trust the Bible? We can trust what God says about the end times. Um, Did you know that 30% of your Bible is about prophecy and end times. 30%. Prophecy and end times. The Bible says more about our generation than any other generation that has ever lived. You say, well, why would the Bible talk so much about this generation, the final generation? One reason is that there are more people alive today than any other time in history. More people alive in this moment than any other time in history. 
And we are living in one of the most severe times in history. Jesus said, unless those days, talking about the end times, unless those days were shortened, no one would live. Now, the Bible is the only book in the world that can accurately foretell the future. A lot of religions will tell you, you know, their end and, and, and that they are right and we should follow their, their ways. But the only way to foretell the future is if you control the future. That's a long way uh, around me getting to this point. Our God holds the future in his hands. He controls the future. God is not shocked by the condition of our world. God is not uh, being caught off guard by the condition of the world as we see it. And I want to start here because I know what, uh, you know, goes through everybody's minds with a series like this. There's some of y'all, you love this stuff. Like, oh, I can't wait for the end time series. And, oh, what do we need to do, pastor? Store up food for 10 years. And you're thinking like that. And I'm going to debunk all that in a little while. Um, and, and then you got other people, be, you, they're, they're thinking, um, I'll be back in four weeks, right? Like, I, just get through that and then I'll come back to church. Um, you don't hear a lot about this subject. Most of us are only focused on our breakthrough, and we're not paying attention to the signs of the time. Now, with that being said, I'm going to preach on something that I have never preached on today. I want to talk to you about Israel's connection to the end times. Israel's connection. We cannot talk about the end times without talking about Israel. Israel is at the center of everything that happens prophetically. Israel has to exist for the end to come. And that is significant because God formed Israel and then they were uh, taken out and for nearly 2,000 years did not exist. But in 1948, Israel became a nation again. And that was a very significant moment that Israel was reborn, rebirthed at that season because the end times, the return of Jesus cannot happen without Israel. Israel is the centerpiece of everything that happens prophetically. The rebirth in 1948, many of you were alive. You don't have to raise your hands, but you were alive at that time and you saw that or watched it on the news. And, and the Bible tells us that the end of all things is connected to the rebirth of Israel, 1948. That happened in 1948. So this was a major prophetic shift for the end times. That was what I would call the beginning of the end, 1948. So let me give you four facts about Israel to set this message up. Number one, Israel is the only nation created by God. See how quiet it got? Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 tells us, the Lord says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land, I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Everybody say blessed. How many want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. God says it's real easy. If you bless Israel, I'll bless you. We should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We should be blessing Israel. Um, so Israel is the only nation ever created by God. God started with Abraham. 
spoke to him, established a covenant, formed a nation. God hasn't done, he didn't do that before. He hasn't done that since. Israel's the only nation created by God. Second fact that we need to know, Israel is in an everlasting covenant with God. An everlasting covenant. The covenant is not something that is going to be cut off. It's a covenant that God has made with this people. Look at Genesis 17, starting in verse 5. It says, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. When you say Israel, you are talking about both a people and a land. You're talking about a land and a people, both. Notice that God gave them, as part of the covenant, he gave them land. So Israel belongs to God. God is in a very special covenant with this people and with this land. Now, with that being said, we, we understand that a Jew still has to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior to go to heaven. How many of you understand that? How many know Jesus is enough? Come on, somebody, help me out. Jesus made a way where there was no way. They have a very special covenant but they have to have a relationship with Jesus to be saved. So how many of you know God loves Arab people? Uh, let me take it a step further. How many of you know God loves all people, right? God loves all people, but he has a very special covenant relationship with the Jews. All throughout Scripture we see this. He loves all people, but a very special covenant covenant with the Jews, which means we should be praying for Israel. We, when we see a Jew, we should be intentional to bless them. We should be praying over the peace of Jerusalem, so much so that the Holy Spirit began to deal with me in January of this year about blessing Israel, praying for Israel, and so our team began praying about an opportunity that we as Bethesda Church could be a blessing to Israel. And so as we prayed about that, we through, through some um, connections that we had, we came across this ministry that looks a lot like Bethesda Church, but it's located in Israel. They're preaching the gospel. People are being saved. They got small groups, worship environments like this. And so we started sending finances every single month. We are in partnership with this ministry because the Bible says, those who bless you, I will bless Come on, somebody. But I want to be a part of that. I want that blessing. We've seen our income here at Bethesda Church since Megan. We have watched it go up 15 to 20%, and we just started a few months ago. Come on, somebody. God says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And so we, we established this partnership, and I want you to check out this message from Pastor Israel from Voice of Judah Ministries. Shalom, Pastor Chad and Karen and Bethesda Church. Thank you for standing with us and supporting our ministry in Israel. Here are a few highlights of the work we do. Voice of Judah Israel is a mover and shaker 
in a land that is being awakened, and we are witnessing revival in the making. We are a dynamic Israeli ministry that is making a difference in the land, touching hearts, changing lives, spreading the gospel with power, planting new congregations, feeding and clothing the poor, caring for families and building stronger communities, discipling a generation of young leaders. Voice of Judah Israel, the revival has begun. And it's awesome to see a church in Israel preaching the gospel. The third fact about Israel is that Israel and the Jews have blessed the world more than any other nation on earth. Not only can we see that through Nobel Peace Prizes and scientists and great leaders that have come out of that nation, but look at Genesis 12, 3 again. He said, I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Let me give you three blessings that Israel has given us that everybody has been impacted by. The first blessing they have given us is Israel gave us Jesus. The greatest man who's ever lived came to us from Israel, a Jew. Jesus. Let me say that Jesus, it's not that he was a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. The Savior of the world came from Israel. The second blessing that they have given us is the Word of God. The greatest book that, that has ever been written is the Bible. And, and the other thing about the Bible, did you know it's 100% authored by Jews? The Holy Spirit moved upon Jew. This is a Jewish book. God gave us his son. He gave us the Bible. And he also gave us the church on the day of Pentecost in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2 and they were filled with the Spirit and established the, the church. How many know everybody in that room was Jewish? And they've been inviting us to the party ever since. The Bible says we have been grafted in to a covenant that God established with his people, Israel. I, I love when I think about this. God's son, God's book, God's church all came from Israel. That's why we should be blessing the people of Israel and praying for them. The fourth thing, that fact about Israel, is that Israel is God's prophetic super sign and stopwatch. The end times are connected to Israel. It's connected to what is going on there. There is end time prophecy that is happening in our day. Now, will you all indulge me for a little while to allow me to teach this? All right? Go with me to Joel chapter 2. Hit your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Joel chapter 2, verse 31 and 32. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's talking about the end, all right? It says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now I want to look at Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, in those days and at, this, and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, all right, you got to pay attention to that because that happened, that verse happened in 1948. So they wrote about it 2,000 years before it happened. And it happened in 1948, the rebirth of Israel, 1948. And he said, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And this is, this is talking about the battle of Armageddon at this spe specific verse. It says, there I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance. 
My people Israel, because they have scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. So this is a prophecy where God says, I'm going to bring my people back that have been scattered across the world. I'm going to bring them from the four corners of the earth back to their homeland, to the land that I first gave them through Abraham and that covenant. And at the same time, I'm going to bring all the other nations that have been aligned against Israel and fighting Israel and resisting Israel. I'm going to bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat, or the, 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 play, the, the valley of Jeho- Jehoshaphat, which simply means Jehovah has judged. So God says, I'm going to bring these nations into this valley of judgment, and I'm going to deal with them because of the way they have treated my heritage. This is all connected. God said at that time, he's talking about the rebirth of Israel, but he's also talking about when he judges the nations that have been against them. Now, I want to give you four things right here that connects Joel chapter 2 and Joel chapter 3 to our modern day, okay? Is everybody following me? Joel 2 and 3, how is it connected to today? Number one, the rebirth of Israel in 1948 and the regathering of the Jews since. God says, in those days and at that time, I will restore Israel. And God is speaking in first person. This happened in 1948. He said, I will bring them back, and I'm going to make this happen. And and, and I'm going to stop here and just insert In God's mind, the end times began in 1948. In God's mind. On his time clock. He said, I'll bring them back to the land that I had established, and I will bring these other nations into the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the place where Jehovah judges. I'm going to judge them. The battle of Armageddon and the rebirth of Israel are all connected, okay? Now watch this. Second thing that brings that prophecy to today, the division of the land of Israel. How many know that every time you look at Israel, it's always about the land? Palestine wanting them to give up land. At times, the U.S. wanting them to give up land. The United Nations wants them to give up land. And and, and they want them to give up land so that there, there will be peace, but There's never peace over this. And part of the reason there's no peace is because God didn't give the land to the U.S., the United Nations, to Palestine. He gave it to Israel, his people. And so there can't be peace over that just by them giving up land. And and some of y'all are going to think, what are we walked into today? But that's all right. The United Nations has done more to resist Israel than all the other nations combined. They've done more to resist them, to stop them, to make them give up more than any other nation. And, and a, lot of, a lot of it has to do with Palestine and giving up land to Palestine. And, and why would you give up land to Palestine? All that does is give them a closer place to shoot a missile from because it's led by terrorists. And, and we, we don't want to say that. Um, check this out. In 2005, the United States and the United Nations, the UN, made Israel give up Gaza. Now, a lot of us, how many of us remember that? Some of you remember that. When, when we forced them to give up Gaza, seven days later, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast. Jewish rabbis interpreted that as, I will curse those who curse you. They, they pronounce, don't leave and say Chad said 2005 was God. I didn't say it. I said Jewish rabbis 
said that was God's judgment on us. And so Palestine is also led by terrorists, and they don't even recognize Israel. They, they don't pay any attention to Israel. They just want the land. And this prophecy, God says, all these nations are going to align themselves against Israel, and I'm going, I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to take care of that because Israel and that land, not just the people, but the land belongs to God. And I find it interesting that the Bible tells us about all these events that would take place and that one of the final scenes of human history is all these nations marching against this tiny nation. How many of you, Israel's not massive. It's tiny. It, you know, it, to most people, you would think it would be insignificant. But, but God says all these things are going to unfold and all these nations are going to find themselves aligning themselves against my people. The third thing, and, and guys, listen, this is happening right before. You're watching this in the news every day. The third thing, four blood moons of 1949 and 50, 1967 and 68, 2014 and 15, and these happening on Jewish holy days. Now, Joel 2.31, we read it. Let's look at it again. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So this, this passage tells us that before this thing all ends, God says, I'm going to put an advertisement in the sky. Just in case the preachers aren't paying attention, just in case the body of Christ is not watching, I'm going to advertise that this is winding down, and I'm going to put a sign in the sky. God has a reputation of doing that. How many know there was a star over Bethlehem? He has a reputation of putting a sign in the sky when something significant is happening. And so God brought his people back from the four corners of the earth back to Israel. It's reborn as a nation in 1948, and it was followed up by four blood moons on Jewish holy days. Coincidence? Eh, maybe. 1967. Jerusalem is restored. Followed up by four blood moons on Jewish holy days. 2014 and 15. We witnessed, how many remember just a couple years ago, the blood moons. Now, I didn't do a lot of preaching on that because I, when it comes to end times, how many know we got to learn together, right? We're trying to watch. We're trying to pray. We're trying to read. But, but could it be that 1948-49 blood moons was about the rebirth of Israel? The 1967-68 blood moons was about Jerusalem being restored? Could it be that the 2014-15 was about the temple being rebuilt and the return of Christ? We're about to get to that. Y'all excited? Okay, y'all like, I don't know what he's talking about. I thought I'd get my breakthrough today. Just to show you the significance, before the first blood moon in 1949, it was 500 years earlier since the last one. And they're saying that after the 2014 and 15, it'll be 500 years again. So 500 years after, 500 years before, but in a 70-year period, there was 12. It's significant. God is putting an advertisement in the sky. The fourth thing that connects prophecy, the prophecy of Joel to our day, is the worldwide anti-Semitism, hatred of the UN for Israel. 
anti-Semitism is simply hatred for Jews. And it is growing worldwide. Jews are having to flee Europe by the hundreds and thousands because of, of this rise of a hatred for Jews. Joel 3, verses 1 and 2 again, look at this. It says, in those days and at that time, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of judgment. The valley of Jehovah's judgment is what that means, the battle of Armageddon. So God connects Israel, the rebirth of Israel. He connects it also with the battle of Armageddon or the end times. And Joel is not the only one to talk about it. That's the interesting thing about Bible prophecy. It doesn't come from one prophet. Several of the prophets write about it, and the greatest prophet of all time, Jesus, spoke about it. Look at what he said in Luke 21, 24. He says, they will fall by the sword. I want to stop right there and, and just inform everyone. Right here, he's talking about the Jews. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Before 1948, that's what had happened. And, and he goes on to say, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The time of the Gentiles being fulfilled happened in 1967 when Jerusalem was restored, when the Jews took back over their, their capital, this, this great city that we call Jerusalem. Then we saw four blood moons. All of this is significant. It's all important. It's all tied together. So in God's mind, the end began in 1948. 1967 was a part of that. He goes on to tell us, Jesus does in Luke 21, 32. Here's what he says about this generation. He says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So people that saw 1948, he's talking about a final generation that would not pass away until all these things, all these prophetic things happened. And we know he was not talking about Jesus. He wasn't talking about his own generation because they all died. He was talking about a future generation. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, well, pastor, I grew up in the church and the preacher said Jesus is coming back and I ain't never seen him. I mean, every preacher I ever had told me he's coming back. He's coming back. And we, we've had signs, you know, for years. And you're right. Every generation has had signs. But the end time generation doesn't have signs. It has every sign. In the past, we've had famines and pestilence, earthquake. All, you know, you, you have things that happen. But in this final generation, how many of we are seeing all of those things happen at the same time more frequently. We don't have signs. We have all the signs. And so this, the end will happen in one generation. So the question is, how long is a generation? How I many? that's the million dollar question. If we're talking about 1948, that generation not going to pass away until the end, then how long is a generation? Now, if you look up the word generation in your Bible or in the back of your Bible, I got bad news for you. It won't tell you how long. It won't tell you how long a generation is. But I found a verse in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, that may speak to it. All right, check this out. It says, our days may come to 70 years 
or 80 if our strength endures. Think about this for just a moment. A generation could possibly be, a, be 70 years. It could possibly be 80 years. But if you do the math, if it's 70 years from 1948 when Israel became a nation, 70 years fast forward brings you to 2018. 70 years. Now, I've got to be real clear. Before you go to Facebook <laughs> and Twitter and Instagram, and you say, Pastor said it's one generation, 70 years, 2018, get all the canned beans you can get. It's over. <laughs> I am not setting a date. Online family, I am not setting a date. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not setting dates. The Bible says no one knows the day or the hour, but we can know the signs of the time. The sons of Issachar knew the times and what to do. 80 years would put us at 2028. And, and so a lot of what we read about in Scripture that scares us, vials being poured out and locusts and all these deaths happening, and, you know, we all get freaked out over it. But I got good news for you. A lot of the tribulation that's going to hit the world, I don't plan on being here for it, baby. Jesus is coming back. I wish I had half a church that believed... Jesus is coming back. You won't hear preaching like this very often. But Jesus is returning. We're so preoccupied with our own breakthrough and our own blessing, we're not even paying attention to the signs that are all around us. This thing's winding down. And we have to be prepared. A couple of things with the unfulfilled prophecies. What I've been hitting is a lot of fulfilled things to this point. Some unfulfilled things. Number one, y'all, give me 10 minutes. I just want this over. <laughs> Number one, you're learning something today, all right? The Gog-Magog War. That's an unfulfilled prophecy. It comes out of Ezekiel chapter number 38. Um, as I said earlier, a lot of the prophets wrote about the end times. It wasn't just one. It wasn't just Joel. Joel wrote about it, Daniel wrote about it, Ezekiel wrote about it, Jesus came and, and he, he a lot of times would reiterate what the prophets said. And so um, this, this um, Gog-Magog war, Ezekiel 38, starting in verse number 1, says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. How many of you like reading all that? Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed, and, great, with, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Now, he goes into a list of nations. He talks about Persia and uh, Tagarma and, and all these different nations that are a part of the nations that align themselves against Israel, okay? And God is, is saying that he's going to deal with them, okay? God's going to deal with them. The prophecy is about a war that I believe is setting up now. And the reason we know it's setting up is because all these nations that align themselves against Israel, the, the Bible may call them one thing, but those nations are alive today. Like, for instance, to, uh, Tagarma there that we just read. Um, 
That is modern-day Turkey. Persia is now what we call Iran. Okay, so these are modern-day nations. Uh, Gog Magog is now called Russia. The interesting thing about when Ezekiel wrote this and he prophesied about this coming war, he didn't even, he didn't know anything about Islam. He had no, he didn't know anything. Islam didn't start until the seventh century. And so Ezekiel's writing long before there were radicals who had set themselves against Israel and everything connected to Israel. And, and what we need to know, just, just for some learning today, Russia has financed a lot of the weapons that Iran has. Okay, so, so what Ezekiel is prophesying about this, uh, uh, you know, these nations becoming allies and setting themselves against Israel, Ezekiel saw this thousands of years ago, and he's writing about it. And, and so we know now that Russia has helped finance some of Iran's um, nuclear technology, all that stuff that they do. Um, and what we have to understand about Iran and some of those nations, it's not ran by politicians, and it's not democratic. It, it, it's not any of that. It's ran by religious radicals who think they have been called by Allah to destroy the little Satan that they call Israel and the large Satan they call America. They feel mandated to destroy Israel and the United States. So it was a big deal when the United States says, we're going to be an ally for Israel. How many of that's a big, big deal? God says, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. So it's a big deal that we're in agreement with Israel. And, and this prophecy goes on to say, it lets us know that Israel is isolated, and they've always been isolated. Like, always fighting for this piece of land, and, and always outnumbered, and all this stuff. And, and the Bible is telling us this is going to happen, and it's happening right now. They are constantly trying to defend, you know, their land. They're trying not to give up um, land to Palestine and all these other nations, constantly fighting for it. And Ezekiel goes on to write, it gets real exciting, he goes on to write, he says that God is going to deal with those nations himself, that when they align themselves and they go in to attack Israel, Israel will not even have to fire one shot. God says, I'm going to wipe them out myself. I'm going to take care of them myself. And the scripture says that it'll take seven months to bury the dead and seven years to clean up the debris because God says, I've had enough of all these nations attacking my people whom I've made a covenant with. Man, when I read that about God's going to do it himself, wonder what that looks like. I mean, they ain't even going to have to fight. God said, I'm going to wipe them out myself. They picked on the wrong dude. On, how many of God's not worried about global jihad and he's not worried about all that? So it's not to produce fear. God, God has this. Hit your neighbor and say, God's got this. Second, unfulfilled prophecy that's going to happen. The seven-year covenant with the Antichrist. How many of you have heard about an Antichrist, read about it? Come on, raise your hands. I need to know that. See, a lot of the church is like, I don't know what he's talking about. The Bible talks about 
an antichrist, a world leader who makes an agreement with Israel, comes into covenant with Israel. In 1948, a lot of the reason why Israel was able to be reborn as a nation is because the world had sympathy for Israel because of the six million Jews that had been killed by the, by the Nazis. And so there was sympathy worldwide for Israel. A lot of scholars believe that the covenant that the Antichrist will make with Israel, the agreement that will be made, will be the result of the Gog-Magog war. I'm not saying that is or isn't. I'm just saying a lot of scholars believe that. Daniel 9.27, though, tells us, it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Everybody say one week. Okay, that doesn't mean seven days. It goes on if you continue reading. He's talking about seven years. Everybody say seven years. So we're not talking about seven days. We're talking about seven years. He says, but in the middle of the week, okay, three and a half years in, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So there's an antichrist who is a powerful leader, makes an agreement. You say, well, who's the antichrist, pastor? I don't know. There's too many good candidates. you got to insert some funny stuff. All right. It says, On the wing of the abomination shall be the one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So there's a seven-year period. Okay, everybody follow? It's a seven-year period. There's an agreement made. Three and a half years in, though, something happens. It's what the Bible calls the abomination of desolation. It's when something happens that throws the world into the worst tribulation, the worst suffering that the world has ever seen. Jesus talked about it. Matthew chapter 24. Look at this. Therefore, when you see this abomination of desolation spoken by, the, by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on, or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulations such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So Jesus is describing the final, the, the last seven years, all right? This tribulation period that some of us are familiar with. And we call it the great tribulation, right? So there's an agreement made, a covenant made. Uh, the, I don't have time to, to give you all the details about the Antichrist, but this guy's going to be powerful. He's going to be able to do things the average guy can't do. Everybody's going to buy into his policies, buy into his leadership. There's going to be what resembles peace for three and a half years. But three and a half years in, he's going to walk into the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he's going to stop all offerings and all sacrifices to the one true God, and he's going to set himself up as God there to be worshipped. And the Bible says that at that point, it's no longer peace, but the whole world is thrown into the worst tribulation, such tribulation has that has never been, been seen before. And a lot of us, we get, we get all worried about this, but you need to know a lot of this that's happening in the world, it's part of prophecy. It has to happen. And there, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's going to happen. It's going to unfold. 
And so the Apostle Paul said it like this in 2 Thessalonians 2. He talks about the Antichrist too. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. You need, to, you need to know the falling away has already started. About half the church is not the real church. There's churches ordaining homosexuals to be the pastor that are funding abortions. How many know that? That goes against Scripture. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying we, we, there, there is a real church. I hope I got some real church people in the house. We got some real church people... So he says, unless there's a great falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, that's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or what is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Antichrist, three and a half years in, he's going to want to be worshipped. And that's when this whole thing goes into the worst days that the world has ever seen. The third thing, as the worship team comes unfulfilled. The temple has to be rebuilt. The temple has to be rebuilt. There cannot be an abomination of desolation without a temple. And so it has to be rebuilt. This is, and, and as we speak, financing is getting in order for this temple to be redone in Jerusalem. There are talks about it. There, there's financing. There's, there's all kinds of um, talk about this temple being rebuilt, and I don't know exactly what we will see over the next few days, weeks, months, years. As I said, I'm not setting dates. I'm just saying a lot of the, hundreds of the prophecies have already happened. There's a handful left. But some of those that have to be fulfilled are not going to take place until we've been raptured out of here. The next event's Jesus. Jesus don't have to wait on a temple to be rebuilt. You say, well, you got an escape mentality. No, I don't have an escape mentality. I'm like Noah and the ark, man. Everybody else can drown. I'm going on out of here, baby. You can drown if you want to. Let's go. He's coming back. And, and so God, by his mercy... I hope you, you get something out of this today. I hope you got something out of it. Some of you are like, I'm so confused, but praise the Lord. God in his mercy gave us prophecy. Nobody wants to preach it. Nobody, I don't even really want to preach it, but how many know I have to preach the whole Bible? I can't just preach the parts I want to preach. You got to preach the whole thing. And if one thing in this book is a lie, the whole thing's a lie. If one thing's a lie, it's all a lie. But how many know every word God has spoke is infallible? It's truth. We can build our lives on it. That day when Jesus returns should not catch us not paying attention. As I've been preaching, two people just got saved online. I want you to stand. I'm going to give you three quick things before we worship. What does all this mean? It means one, God is in control. Two, you can trust your Bible. And three, Jesus is coming back. That's what it means. I want you to bow your heads all over this place. No one looking around for these next couple of moments. Again, Jesus said when you see all these things happening, 
Look up because your redemption draws nigh. You know what Jesus is saying? He said, when you see all this stuff unfolding, you should be happy. You should be excited. This world is messed up, y'all. And the answer is not another politician or a government. It's not. The only answer is Jesus returning for his bride. That is the only answer. But if you have fear in your heart over this message today, the only reason you would have fear is if you don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you shouldn't be afraid. But if you are unsettled in your heart, in, unsettled in your life, maybe that's just speaking to you that the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to come into relationship with Jesus. I'm going to make this very simple. If you're in this place and you need, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life today, the Savior of your life, you need your sins forgiven. If that's you, would you throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. I want to know Jesus. Anyone at all. You say, that's me. Thanks for this hand over here. God bless you. Thanks for this hand up front. God bless you. Thank you for that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Say, that, that's me. Anyone else before we pray? Thank you for that hand. God bless you. I want every voice lifted as we pray with these four or five hands and the two online. Every voice say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I believe that you came, you died in my place, that you rose again. I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give all those that are making a decision today. Amen. We celebrate with you. Before you leave, if you could fill out a Connect card, it's in the seat back in front of you. If you made that decision, fill it out. Let us know that you gave your life to Jesus. Just leave it in your seat. We'll come back by after service and pick that up. One more time, give it up for all those that just got saved. Amen. That's what it's all about. Prayer team and staff, come forward. Let's give Jesus the best praise we have all day. Come on, let's give him a praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.